I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of 1 John. 1 John, we're going to be in chapter 2, verses 7 through 14 today. If you are here and you didn't bring a Bible and you want to follow along in the Pew Bible, we're on page 862. 1 John chapter 2, we're going to be in verses 7 through 14. Beginning in verse 7, this is what John writes. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. The old command is the message that you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you have known the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young man, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. How is your vision this morning? How's your vision? Um, I remember the first time that I figured out that my vision was not what it was supposed to be. It was toward the end of college, and I could tell when I was driving around that the road signs that I would see, I could read them, most of them, but they weren't as kind of clear as I would like for them to be, especially in the dark, especially when it was raining. So I thought, okay, maybe I should get my eyes checked. So I went to the doctor, and any of you who've done this before, you know know the drill. You know, you're there, and they have you look across, and there's this chart, and there's really large letters at the top, and it gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller at the bottom. So I did that whole deal, and then they do all kind of fancy stuff now. They can look into the back of your eye. It's pretty fascinating. And anyways, they determined that indeed my eyesight was not what it should be. Now, it's not that I'm like, like really bad, but like I can look up and I can tell that Ed Wills is running the soundboard, but maybe I don't see him in like HD. You know what I'm saying? It's a little bit fuzzy maybe the farther back it gets. But it was interesting that when I got my glasses, so they sent me my glasses, and I put my glasses on, and I can still remember vividly being, we were going to dinner somewhere as a family, and I was at my parents' house, and we got in the car, and I put my glasses on, and I was looking around, and it was like I was seeing the world for the first time. It's like I was telling everybody in the car, y'all, there are blades of grass over there. Like, it's not a green blob, but like, there's, and we were going down the road, and like, everything was coming at me, and I'm pretty sure I was pretty annoying for a while, as I was seeing everything so much more clearly than I had to that point. I didn't know that my eyesight was that bad, but when I got glasses and that I could see, then I realized how much that I had been missing. Now, I want you to think about your vision, not so much in terms of whether or not you can read the words on the screen up there, though that is important. But what I have in mind this morning is more spiritually our vision. 
And the idea of specifically, do we see people in the same way that Christ sees them? When we look at them, do we really see them, or do we just kind of see somebody and we're moving on um, down our path of life? 1 John is a challenging letter. The more that I've read it and the more that I've thought about what it would look like to live faithfully in light of what John teaches, the more I am convicted that I'm not yet the person that I think God would have me to be. So we started out in chapter 2 focusing largely kind of on our own sin and the ways that we've not been who God's called us to be. And I think sometimes in Christianity we're, we're prone to think about the gospel primarily in those terms. I've done something bad. I deserve to go to hell. Jesus has redeemed me from that. And now I'm reconciled to God. And that is a big part of the gospel. But it's not just that we've been reconciled to God the Father and now we're good with Him. There's now also this call upon our life that we live into the life that God's called us to and we love other people even as we love ourselves. And I think sometimes we don't take that part of the Christian life seriously enough. And John was writing to a group of people who were being influenced by Gnostic thought, which they kind of said the spiritual is all that matters and the physical really doesn't matter. And so John's writing to say Jesus came in the flesh and the life that we live on the earth and the time that God gives us, God really cares about how we invest this time. And he really cares about how we live in relationship with other people. Now in 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 7, he, John's so interesting all throughout the letter. He says, now I'm not writing you a new commandment. This is nothing new. And if you go back to the Old Testament, the idea that we would love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, the idea that we would love our neighbor as ourselves, is right there in the first five books of the Bible. This would have been a central thought, a central understanding to God's people as far back as you can go. The idea that you love God with everything that you have and you love your neighbor. But then he says, but it's kind of new. <laughs> he said, it's not anything new, but the more I think about it, it's kind of new. And the reason that I think John says that it, that it is new is that now you and I have seen God on display most clearly in the person of Jesus Christ. And there's this idea that as you, as you read through the Bible, that God reveals himself in a way that's progressive. That early on we see him as creator, he gives the law, he spoke through the prophets. But the writer of Hebrews would say, he's spoken to us in these last days most clearly in the person of Jesus. And if you think about Jesus' earthly ministry, and John is big in calling Jesus the light of the world. Think back to John chapter 1. If you think about Jesus' ministry, Jesus was often redefining the boundaries of who's in and who's out. And he was always moving toward those people who were on the edges or the fringes of society. The people who everybody else would have thought maybe was beyond the scope or the pale of God's mercy and grace. Now, if I ask you this morning, are you someone who walks in the darkness? You might, you might originally say, you know what, maybe not. When you think about darkness and walking in the darkness, in your mind, I want you to make a list of sins that you would throw in that category. Go ahead, think about it. 
It's like really bad stuff, isn't it? Stuff that we would rather not say out loud, okay? There's this kind of all these bad sins. And then I want you to think, if you kind of judged yourself on this sliding scale, are you more on the darkness side or more on the light side? And I have to admit to you that most of the time I put myself, I don't know, at least somewhere in the middle. Like there's the darkness and like the really bad people over here. I'm not, surely I'm not one of them. And then there's like the really light, like good people, you know, like Mother Teresa or somebody. And I know I'm not there, but like a lot of things in life, maybe I'd give myself kind of a a moderate middle position there. And when you read the book of 1 John, he doesn't really give us those categories. He talks in terms of darkness and light, either or. And he he really causes us to look at our hearts and think of ideas like love and hate. Because if I ask you today, do you hate anyone? Probably your initial thought might be like, well, I mean, not like, I don't really hate anybody. But if you think, do you love everyone you come into contact with. It's a much different way to think about life, isn't it? Do I love everyone I come into contact with versus just like um, not hating them? And so, so John says, think about this new commandment that you have in Jesus. That Jesus came into the world and he showed us most fully what it looks like to be people who walk in love. And so many times Jesus is drawn to the people that you and I might have thought were outside the bounds. And it's really the religious people who are most offended by Jesus. The ones who think that they're pretty good, people of light, not people of darkness. And it's the people who know they're walking in darkness, who come into contact with God's grace and mercy in Jesus, that seem to be most transformed and then want to live their lives following him. So John says... If you say you're in the light, verse 9, and you hate your brother, you're still in darkness. And the really dangerous thing, I think, about this state of being, thinking that you're in the light, but you're really walking in darkness, is that like you're like a younger version of Wayne driving around, not knowing that you're kind of blind. (laughs) Much better to know that you need help, right, than to not know that you need help. And then he says... Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. So as I thought this week about the whole idea of loving God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving my neighbor as myself, and thinking about I'm either in one of those positions of of loving or hating, I'm either in the light or I'm in the dark, my mind initially went to the parable of the Good Samaritan in the Gospel of Luke. Now, one of our challenges with listening to these gospel parables is that we've, some of us have heard them a lot. And so they lose some of their shock value to us. But I want you to try to hear the parable of the Good Samaritan with fresh ears. And think about what it would look like for you to be someone who walks in love and loves your neighbor even as you love yourself. This is what Luke records beginning in Luke 10, verse 25. It says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Seems like a reasonable, great question to ask. 
Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. So he gets it right. You're supposed to love God with everything you are. You're supposed to love your neighbor just like you love yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Now, at this point, if the lawyer had just said, Roger that, got it, I'm going to go love God with everything I have and love my neighbor as myself, then maybe he would have been left free to kind of figure out what that meant for him. Because it's kind of vague if you think about it. Love God with all you are, love your neighbor as yourself. And so he wanted a little bit more specificity. He really wanted to make sure he could justify himself. Verse 29. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? I mean, I can only imagine at this point Jesus was so happy with the question. So glad you asked. And rather than just kind of telling him the answer, he told him a story. Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and I want you to pay attention to the the language of seeing in the parable, okay? Now, by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So, in a way, he saw this guy. He knew he existed. He knew he was over there on the side of the road, but he passed by on the other side. So, likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, pass by on the other side. Now, these are two people that you and I would expect to be good and religious and right people, and we would expect that they would respond appropriately. But I have to tell you that I really identify with these first two people a lot. When you're going around, how many of you feel busy? Anybody? Like, even at church on a Sunday morning, you can feel busy. You're like, I got to get into Sunday school. I got to get myself to worship. I got to move here. And you can be so busy, perhaps, that you don't even see the people who are around you. I mean, you see them, but you don't really see them. So these first two people see this person in distress, but they don't do anything. They go to the other side. Now, everybody get ready to gasp with me. You ready? But a Samaritan. (gasps) Who? A Samaritan? Like, this would have been the group of people that everybody's like, well, surely, like, he's probably going to jump on. He's probably going to pile on. Like, he's probably going to, like, go pick through the, see what we got here left. Okay? Well, anybody leave any money behind because I'm going to get that and go on. Like, these were those people. So think in your mind who that would be for you. Who are those people? He comes along, as he he journeyed, he came to where he was, and what did he do? He saw him. Same thing, same words, same language here. Just like the first two kind of religious people, but he saw him, and he had to see him in a different way than the first two. When he saw him, he had compassion. Now this word compassion is really huge in the New Testament. And it's often attributed to Jesus. Like the disciples, they're kind of like me. They're busy and they're moving around. 
Like, for example, Jesus has been teaching all day. The crowds have come. They don't have lunch. And what do the disciples do? Hey, Jesus, get them out of here. Like, they need to eat. Jesus, on the other hand, does what? He sees them with eyes of compassion. And he's like, no, 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 you feed them. Right? He sees people and he has compassion. And it's not just that he felt sorry for them, but he was moved to the point that he wanted to do something to help them. And so the Samaritan sees this person laying on the side of the road, and he sees them to the point that he has compassion for them, and he does something about it. Listen to what he did. He went to him rather than the other side of the road and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Now, to me, that seems like enough. Doesn't that seem like enough to you? Like, that's a gracious plenty. Like, he went out of his way. He took care of him. He took him to an inn. Okay, fine, that's good. Move on. Like, I would give myself a gold star if I did that. Like, if I saw Ginger on the side of the road and I changed her tire for her, I mean, like, I'd feel pretty good. Like, well done. Maybe somebody got that and posted on Instagram. I feel so happy, right? 35. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. He's like, All right, took care of the guy. Here's some money. Hey, if he goes over, if he orders too much room service, I got it. Like, whatever he needs, you take care of him. I'll square him away when I get back. And so Jesus then. He's got the picture in his mind, and he asks the lawyer, Hey, lawyer, which of these three people do you think was the neighbor to the guy? Now, you don't have to have a master's of divinity to understand the answer to this question, I hope. Like, even, you know, anybody could get this, right? Which one was a neighbor? Which one? Samaritan. Yeah, it's not a trick question. <laughs> You're like, I don't know if I answer this. Um, yes, it was the Samaritan. And the reason that he was a neighbor is that he saw him and he had compassion on him and he really did love him in the same way that he would want to be loved if he were in that situation. And so I think this is what John is calling us to. The idea of, of more than just, I'm not going to do harm to people. More than just the idea that, that I'm going to try to be a decent person, but that I'm going to see people with the same eyes that God has seen me. I'm going to understand the mercy that he's shown me, and then I'm going to have that same compassion and be moved that same way for others. Now, I want you to do something for a minute. I want you to ask the first uh, service to do this, and then I had to tell them, no, like I really mean it. I want you to look around the sanctuary and just look at all the people who are here today. Take your time and just look around. Okay. And, and here's the thing that's so true about every person who's here. That every person in this room is created in God's image. Every person in this room is someone for whom Christ has died. And it doesn't matter where you're from or what you've done or how good you've been or how bad you've been that we all have in common this idea or this truth that we've been 
alienated from God because of our sin. And God's been gracious enough to send Christ to redeem us from our sin so that we might have fellowship with him and with one another. And one of the things that excites me about potential for our church is that if God would give us, each of us, a greater heart for other people who are also part of Mount Brook Baptist Church to the point that we start to not just kind of see them, but we really see them with a heart of compassion, and we start asking ourselves the question, what would it look like for me to love this person in the same way that I love myself? What would it look like? Here's, here's some ideas. Imagine you're walking down the hall, and there's a group of fifth and sixth grade boys running down the hall. Right? And you see them, but you, like, you really see them. And maybe you're old like me, like 43 or 50. I'll stop there. Like maybe you're like, huh? But maybe in that moment, you look at that kid and you say, I, was, I remember I was in the fifth grade one time, and I was a knucklehead running through a church. I was talking to a guy after the first service who grew up here. He was in from out of town. And he said, I said, I love when you were talking about growing up in the church and other people investing in your life because it made me think about my experience growing up here and all the adults who just invested in me and other people in the youth group. And he said, I can remember when the sanctuary was being built. And he's like, we would come over here, the junior high kids, and like be in places we weren't supposed to be. We like climbed up the steeple, you know, that kind of thing. But what he remembered wasn't, he remembered that. But the thing that he said to me, almost with tears in his eyes, was that I so valued growing up in Mount Root Baptist Church because there were a group of people who I knew cared for me. And it was one of the most wonderful seasons in my life that I could ever imagine. So what would it look like for you? I really want you to think and pray about this. That church can be just a collection of individuals that come together for a worship service. And really great, awesome, insightful, moving sermons. Right? And then you go back out into the world and do your own thing. But I think what God calls us to more than that is, is to walk into church and to look around and to be sensitive and to say, how, God, would you be calling me to be a part of what you're doing in this place to invest in other people and to love them in the same way that you've loved me. Here's another really wild thing I want you to think about. It's wild. I'm just telling you before I even start. It's crazy. Imagine that you came at the 9 o'clock hour, and all you did was you just kept babies in the nursery. And then you went to Sunday school, and then you went to worship. I know. It's, I get it. It's wild. It's a crazy idea. But you did it. You know that the church, can we pay people to keep your kids at church? We can do that. We can make that happen. But how much more meaningful would it be if people showed up to volunteer? And they said, hey, we just want to know these kids and these families and pray alongside. And then there's this day when they grow up and Graduate Recognition Sunday comes. 
It's coming for some of you, I can see, sooner than you think, right? And you're up front, and then we as a church look up, and we're just like, it's not just a bunch of kids going to college, but we now see them, and they're like, those are our kids. Like I, I taught that kid in vacation Bible school, or I kept that kid in the nursery at one point, or I've been praying for that kid or that family, or they've been into my house before. And there's such a sense of connection and relationship because I've tried to love them with the same kind of love that God's loved me in Jesus. And I think that would be an expression, an experience of church that would be something worth being a part of. And it only is going to happen if we see people, if we really see them. And we start to ask and pray, what would it look like for me to love them just like I would love myself? And I want to warn you, like, it's going to wear you out sometimes. Loving people is hard. Amen? <laughs> even in this congregation, I might get an amen, right? Loving people is hard. Um, I was at the baseball field one day, and I saw this guy, and I may have mentioned this to you already. He had on his shirt, he said, I used to be a people person. And underneath it, it said, then people ruined it. And I was like, that's so true. It's probably in Proverbs somewhere. Yeah, this is like, like people are messy and hard. And we don't always get it as quickly as we would want people to get it. And you keep going. And you might t- prepare a Sunday school lesson. And you might show up. And nobody may come. And you're like, well, that was a waste. Right? But all this flows out of our understanding of all that God's done for us in Jesus. And Jesus, in that parable of the Good Samaritan, he said the guy was on the side of the road half dead. And when you read the Bible, you know what it talks about us apart from Christ? We were what? Dead. But Christ came into the world so that we might have life through him. So I want you to pray about what it would look like for you more and more to love the other people that God's called in Mount Root Baptist Church with tangible expressions in a way that you would want to be Loved were you in their shoes. And let's prayerfully see what God does as we walk more and more in the light. I invite you to pray with me. God, we thank you for the grace and the mercy that you have shown to us in Jesus. And Lord, we know that we get accustomed to it. And we can sometimes miss out on all that you have done for us through him. And so, Lord, in the places where we can't see as we should, we pray that you would help us to recognize it and that you would give us your eyes, that we would see people with hearts of compassion. And then we would ask, what would it look like for us to join you in your work of loving them? Lord, that we would not be content to walk in the darkness and not be content to live life just as it relates to us, but our heart would be for others even as your heart is for us. We offer this prayer in Christ's name. Amen.